Hello, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben-Murgy. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. To be clear, I'm not a rabbi. I am a spiritual director, ordained that way, but my life has been mostly in broadcast and uh, journalism, and um, I do work in politics and in the environment, mostly in the environment these days. Um, But nonetheless, if I was going to be a rabbi, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. So that's what this podcast is really about. Trying to see things and talk to people through a spiritual lens. And often in our world, we actually, we shy away from that conversation. They tell you not to talk about religion or politics at the dinner table with friends. And so I said to my wife, then I can't go anywhere for dinner because those are the things I talk about because I believe them to be important to who we are as people. Um, one of the things that uh, we do as uh, Jews is that we have what's called Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement. And it's a 25-hour period of time when the sun goes down and then an hour after the sun goes down the next day, you don't eat and you don't drink. Now, when I was a child, this to me was all I could do was stare at the clock. When is this over? When can I eat? When can I have one of my mother's vishwelas? When can I just eat like a person? Uh, these days when I do it at my advanced age, um, it's nothing. It just doesn't bother me in the least. But people keep asking me, why do I do it? You know, come on, what's the point? And just like being kosher, it's a restraint It's something you can't have, something you can't do. And in that restraint, there's an awakening because you're out of your habitual life where every day you take for granted what you can do. I can eat anything I want. I can do anything I want. All of a sudden you can't. So that's our tradition. And there's about four times in the year where there is a day of fasting. What we don't have is what today And this is a pre-tape, so I'll say it. Today is the first day of something much more interesting to me because I can't even imagine doing it for a month, and that is Ramadan. So I figured it'd be a really good idea to talk to somebody who celebrates Ramadan and also has so many other different and interesting facets to their life. Uh, His name is Muhammad Faki, and he is the owner of Paramount Fine Foods, uh, which has grown to an exponential amount of outlets and different ways of manifesting itself, not just restaurant, fine restaurant, it's halal butcher shops. It's it's constantly expanding and growing. And there's a lot, even in the way uh, Mr. Faki does his business, that I want to explore spiritually as well. But I'll just stop yakking about it and introduce him. So please, um, today, I, I guess the best thing to say is... Um, uh, Ramadan Mubarak. You said it right. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much. Or, or or Ramadan Karim, I could say as well. Yes, yes, you can say that too. So, welcome to the program. It's very nice to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. So last night Ramadan began. Yes. When, tell me about what it is about Ramadan that makes you look forward to it. Well, I mean, definitely, I, I do hear exactly what you said. A lot of people say, but come on, Mohammed, you do a lot of good things and good deed. And why do you need to struggle not eating and not drinking all day long? Like you're in Canada now. These are difficult days. Maybe you could skip it. 
and God will understand you. Well, that's great. But you look forward to a lot of things. What it stands for, for me, it is a great discipline. And I salute you for actually presenting it the right way. And one more time, what you said about the Jewish religion and what, it, what Ramadan stands for, it shows one more time that we're much more alike than what we are different. And unfortunately, we tend to, or maybe not us, uh, historically, people tend to focus on our differences more than how alike we are. And all of us, we are that way. And it has a lot of importance, Ramadan, to every single person. And regardless how religious you are, less religious or not at all, but it brings back a lot of memories. It brings back a lot of moments. It brings back a lot of important things that happen in your life that reminds you during Ramadan, things that happen and taught you lessons. We are what we are today, all of us. I am who I am. I'm the same boy that heard and learned from my mom and my dad in Lebanon. The old people of Beirut and their, their, what they taught me and, and their wisdom. And the people in Italy where I went to study and what they taught me and what I learned living there. And the great people of Canada, what, how they helped me and taught me. So it's very important not to try to think that you become more Canadian by not fasting, regardless if you're a Jewish, Muslim, or Christian. And you become more Canadian if you do not follow or you, you become less proud of, of things that means and always meant to you and to your life and had made a lot of changes. So Ramadan uh, does teach people and uh, how to control, self-control themselves and how it's important to all of us and our, our life basically and shield our soul from greed and immoralities and you know how you can improve your connections maybe to you with almighty but most importantly with other people as well and feel their pain feel their suffering the people that they're in need the people the most vulnerable so ramadan teaches you all that and it teaches you more the fact that what's important in life and how you could actually change the pattern of what you usually do every single day and make you train yourself not to be that attached to the meal and the coffee mm -hmm. and everything you've done every single minute for the rest of the year for something that no one can see, for something that no one can prove. No one can prove that Ramadan teaches you that, or you can't show it in an actual way that it does teaching you and making you feel what the poor people are feeling. And, but you still do it. And yeah. it makes it more valuable. It's so interesting because I know that as an immigrant myself and bringing customs from another part of the world with me, even on our Yom Kippur, I, it's stark, the contrast to me walking around in, in this world where no most of the people in it aren't doing what I'm doing. So I wonder during this month, there must also be a part that brings you separation in a way from other people in the Canadian culture, not in a negative way, but in a way that says, I am not what everyone is around here. I, you know, there's a heightened awareness of, of the specialness of the event for you, I, I would think. 
I actually, it does, but in a good way. Yeah. I actually celebrate that my name is Mohammed because it brings a conversation. And before we started this, you were talking about your name. And your name to a lot of people is different. Yeah, oh yeah. But different is beautiful. Imagine if we all looked alike, ate the same way, dressed up the same way. Mm-hmm. What a boring life would have been, <laughs> right? So for me to hear about how you fast and listen to my other Jewish friends in the Jewish community uh, or my chef that's telling me about his mom that she's from Morocco and how they fast, it's beautiful. And for me to tell my Canadian friends and co-workers how we fast and telling them a story. And yesterday made a joke or somebody made a joke that you hear Ramadan was moved due to coronavirus. <laughs> and right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Look, I, us being diverse, us being coming from different places, celebrating different things, but we don't have to celebrate it alone. And the Muslim religion, the Jewish religion and the Christian religion, when you fast and you're, when you do anything religious, part of it is to be good to others. And not others mean other Christian or other Muslims. Others as a human, right? Does not specify the, the same. And none of the words of the Torah, of the Bible, or of the, of the Quran says be only good to your friends or neighbors, the Muslim ones. It doesn't yeah. say that. Yeah. Right? But as human beings, sometimes we end up going there. So in the Torah, it says love the stranger. Yeah, right? absolutely. It, and in the Quran, it talks about the loving way. the stranger. The same way. Uh, and in the Christianity, the compassionate Christ says, love the stranger. Yeah. And yet, there's the other part of it that you're not me. You don't understand where, who we are as people. Um, even to the point within the religions themselves, there's separations. You're Shiite. I'm Sunni. Uh, you don't do what I do. We, we're not the same Muslim. Uh, you're from Indonesia. So there's this whole two parts of what people are about, right? One is is the particular part that says, I am a Lebanese Muslim. Right? And the other part is the universal part. I am part of everything in this world and everyone in this world. So how do you balance those two things for yourself? Yeah, I don't think it's a struggle. I actually think it's easy to balance because I always say my name is Mohammed and I'm very proud to be a Muslim Canadian. So it's very simple. So my name is Mohammed, is not Mo, because I see a lot of people to fit in. They want to change their name, and it'll become funny. Won't become more Canadian. Become will be no name, right? So please yeah. don't change your name and be proud of who you are, where you came from, how you were born, your parents, what they taught you, and your religious background, because that's what in Canada what we do. We celebrate people. We in Canada we do celebrate people regardless where they're from. And number two, yeah, yeah, sometimes, we, sometimes we don't. Sometimes and that's we, fine, we but I can, Oh, and of course, but that's on all of us Canadian is to work harder. That Look, the people that actually celebrate our diversity are much bigger in number. The difference is that we're just simply silent. And we think the one that they don't are a lone wolf and it's not something that it's a growing. Right. I think our silence is a wink. I think we should not be silent. We should voice the fact that we celebrate our diversity and we do celebrate people. And even if they're different than us, because the others, the, the, the smaller percentage that focus on our differences will otherwise sound louder, just not because they're more, 
they're less, but they're louder because we're silent. So we should more celebrate each other. And and I would love to, if it wasn't for Corona, invite you to break bread with me and try an iftar in Ramadan. And I have invited a lot of time politicians to try a fasting a day or stopping water or food so they can feel because a lot of time the joke is, oh, I'm sorry, you know, now you can't eat. So or teasing me as a friend, all of us, and this and that. But look... It's beautiful to be in a country where a lot of people has so many different times to celebrate and we all borrow each other's celebration and we all celebrate more often during the year. So it's a lot of more reason to celebrate. And yes, there is a small percentage of people that will make you feel that you're not as welcome. But we all pick this country because it's known to be a welcoming country. And we just want to keep it that way. So what are the challenges in a first generation in a new country is watching your children grow up? And thinking, are they attached to what I've become, what I am, and what we believe in? Or are they finding that they don't, they want to fit in? They want to be like the people that are the dominant culture. You know, dad, you know, I get the whole thing of uh, fasting and, you know, like, it's good that you do it. It's great. But I'm really not in the mood. Um, What do you do with the tensions of what you want to bring from where you're from for you know, so long for centuries. And then all of a sudden you're in this place where it's like my father watching hockey as a Moroccan. And I'm thinking, why are you watching hockey? Because it's the closest thing to football, to soccer that I have. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the same. They have a net and they have defenders and they have strikers. So all the Moroccans watched hockey and yet I played hockey and my father never came to one game because he just couldn't relate to going to a hockey arena and watching me play a game. So how do you how do you work with what your children are because of your work and the benefit they have from the life you've given them? How do you make sure they don't forget what they are? Um, I simply do what I do and live my life, showing them and leading them per example. And a lot of people ask me that question about either that or how do you keep them grounded. Right. And the best way to do both is to get them to buy in. When uh, the Quebec City mosque shooting happened, my son, born in Mississauga, as Canadian as Wayne Gretzky and more, he's a blonde and blue eyes because my grandma and his grandma on the other side are. So, like, you will not see anything about him that his dad's name Mohammed from the outside look, looking at him. But at the same time, when the shooting of uh, the, 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 the Quebec mosque happened, I walk into the house. My wife texts me. She said, be careful. You're going to be questioned a million times. Your, your, your boys are worried a little bit. Right. And I walked in, and the first thing I said to them, hey, by the way, I need to take a shower. Did you hear what happened at the Quebec mosque? I started the conversation, right, and right. they both said yes. I said, while I'm taking a shower, can you think of something we can do to help? So now I move them. Uh, now I move them from uh, being worried and scared about being part of the solution. Right. And then you move them to be proud instead of being shy and scared to be I'm a Muslim and they just got shot in the mosque. Right. To someone I'm a Muslim, but I came from the opposite side to help. 
and I brought a positive message to a bad situation. So you get them involved, you get them to buy in in the bigger picture, and something is bigger than you and the division of being Muslim, Christian, or Jewish, when they get involved with feeding the homeless, and they see homeless Muslim and homeless uh, from all background, and Canadian homeless, they look different, different color of skin, different backgrounds, right? They feel that they're part of something that their religion, religion asks them to do, but at the same time, the country where they want to fit in asking them to do, their religion celebrate, and the country that they were, they, where they were born celebrates. So you make them part of something and bigger than them. And so to the extreme, my older son has a charity uh, activity that he does once a year for himself with his couple of friends. And you always, I have this famous story, always he, he asked me, how did you grow giving back? And I always say we have a small box at our house called Sadaka, a shoe box. And my mom used to give me $5. And the last dollar she used to give me was in smaller 20 cents and 25 cents separated. And she used to ask me to drop the 25 cents in the Sadaka box before I leave. And the reason why she used, she ingrained in me, she wired me when I was a kid that the only way you will be blessed, the only way you will be protected, and the only way, way you'll succeed at school if you study and you give to the needy and you do something good before you start your day, then your whole day will be blessed. So here's a beautiful piece. We have the same thing called staka. There we go. Staka sadaka, yeah. and and it's the exact same thing. You know, as um, years ago uh, during the first Gulf War, I was a journalist on television at the time, and there was a professor in Amman uh, who was going to be on the program. So he was on a you know I could see him on a screen, and I was ready right here. And then he and he says, and who who is going to be speaking with me? And I, and they said his name is Ralph Ben Mergi, and they and he said, oh. And then I came on, I said, hello. And he goes, oh, we are cousins, yes? Ah. <laughs> we both broke up laughing. So sadaka or sadaka is one of the pillars of faith, right? The five pillars, faith, prayer, pilgrimage, sadaka, and Ramadan. And hajj, yeah, pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah the hajj. Yeah. On the way to work, you listen to Quran in the, in the car? Uh, before that, sometimes I wake up early. In the, uh, I always wake up early. In you the wake morning. up at four thirty in the morning, do you? Know? I do. I do. <laughs> and you know that's course, crazy, right? You know and, that's and a crazy. suggestion to everyone listening: please never <laughs> announce that publicly because you have. I have people now texting me at six a.m. and say, "Sorry, I'm late," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> like the only reason I wake up so early because it'll give me the time alone. It'll give me the time of reflection. It'll yeah. give me the time of ten minutes of listening to the Quran sometime and. And feeling that I'm connected. And, you know, even listening to the Quran, uh, you know, to me, those words and the voice and the sound, uh, it gives me that comfort of being connected again. And it reminds me when I used to wake up and or drive with my dad in the car and he used to have the Quran on, right? In the, yeah. car, I, in the car, I don't. I'm actually very outdated with my music and everything because phone calls do not stop. And... Uh, 
uh, quite honestly, I just want a quiet time. So I don't listen to, to too much in my car. But yes, yeah, at, yeah. Home, at home in the morning, I always find uh, a, a small, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to play the Quran, listen to it. So in Torah, there's a schedule to it, right? Every week you do a new Parsha, a new chapter, as it were. Is Quran work the same way that you're tied to the calendar that way? No, it's not. I didn't think so, because the Christian Bible is not tied to calendar yeah. either. So how do you choose what to listen to or what or what to read? Well, I mean, it depends on the mood of learning or the, the mood of listening. Because sometimes you listen to learn and sometimes you listen because it's a spiritually makes you feel better just right. listening. And on the learning part, or if you are, let's say, if you're upset or bothered by uh, envy, so there is a part of the Quran surah that talks only about the envy and uh, and how you can bring the envious to take to, to, to look at you differently and hopefully bring them a, a closer in a positive way and hopefully right so if that's what's bothering you and you're in more feeling that you need something or answered or question or to hear a solution of the problem if it's getting deeper into you and it's upsetting you really then you'll go to exact same part or chapter that actually deals with that particular point. But 90% of the time is the comfort of listening of words that you know that every single word of those or verses will teach you something in you and it gives you that comfort in your heart. Oh, now I'm jealous because you get to pick the parts you want. We have to do the next part. It doesn't matter if we don't want to do it or not. Well, in sense of diversity, why don't we switch for a couple of weeks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to go in order and I get to do whatever the hell I want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so how does your faith inform, you know, from the outside, someone will go, oh, yeah, that guy's a really good business guy. He's, you know, he's, he bought a, he's a gemologist from, from Lebanon who, who bought a, a shawarma shop that was broke uh, and look at it now it's everywhere it's paramount food it's all. how how do you put faith into that as opposed to i'm a lean mean in entrepreneurial machine you know how, how do you get it in there i actually never been a lean mean entrepreneurial machine <laughs> and I, I i think it's outdated the the ceos that they still think that uh, being lean and mean and only entrepreneurial and it's yeah. a machine they don't do business well anymore and they're no longer supported by people and customers do not want to support those kind of entities anymore. And therefore, I always lately, especially lately, I'm asking more CEOs to look at people, purpose and plan it before a profit because the profit will follow. And today it's a world of talents and we call talents a complicated uh, explanation of one simple world it's people human we all lack good talents all companies all businesses all good ideas need talents and without being able to attract talents for more than just their salary everybody will give them that salary they need to find a reason within your company within your culture and within what you preach what you represent more and bigger than just the salary and 90% is the community, humanity. is the only thing bigger than all of us is a humanity. And when you, your team is proud and buy in 
to a company that becomes to look more like a movement than a company because purpose, people, and planet comes before a profit, then they will work better. Then they will be proud to go home and tell a story to their children. Then that story will resonate to their children and will give them what you asked me about first. Right. We have a lot of our executives, their children are involved in a lot of charity we do. And why would they ever leave the company if it's giving them the money, giving them the respect, and it gives them the culture, and it's getting them, they can take it with them home because it's as well a movement that teaches their children and set them with a great example. So I think, and I, I actually don't think, I am sure, the only way I enjoy doing a business, if it has a benefit to everyone else, not only for me. Like if you tell me today that there is a 500 TVs for sale for $10 and you're going to sell them for $500 because someone bankrupted, I'll worry about the guy bankrupted. And I'll say, you know what? I don't want to walk all over him. No, no. Sell them for $20 and let's take $15. We'll make 5%, 20% and let's donate the rest to this guy or donate to a charity, right? Because right. that's not a business I'm in. And let's find a way that the benefit coming of your business has something to do with happiness because people are confused between money and happiness. Right? Money yeah. doesn't always make you happy. What makes you happy is when you do something that resonates inside, that makes your children proud and your parents proud and you, know, you proud. It's funny because I, I was a working class kid in a well-off neighborhood in Toronto, in Forest Hill. And everyone else was uh, Eastern European Jews, and we were, you know, Moroccan Jews who spoke Spanish at home. Um, and I always would say that one of the gifts I got was that I grew up with kids who had a lot of money, and they were no happier or sadder than I was. And I thought, okay, well, then this is not what's going to be. Look, no one wants to be poor. It's very tiring and exhausting and it's physically very difficult and mentally very difficult. I'm not trying to romanticize trying to live on $30,000 a year. But after a certain amount of money, it's not going to be anything except the creature comforts, the material comforts that you get out of that. The rest is the, and I think that you're in the business of this, is the refinement of your soul. That you're here to refine those aspects of yourself. And through the disciplines that you use, you are trying to find the tools to be able to leave this place better than when you came to this place, right? You said it perfectly. And most importantly, like, yeah, you can make money from a business you don't love doing, right? But then you go look at something else separate that you love doing to be happy. I rather pick something that I do every day that doesn't sound like a job, looks like a job, makes me happy. It may be harder to find, but so what? I don't want it easier to find. So the bottom line for me is no. And it is outdated to be that mean entrepreneur. And, you know, with that wink, the bottom line is numbers, how much money we made. The bottom line is numbers. Well, the only way you make money these days it's proven already. There is, there is a scientific formula today called the quadruple bottom line. And the quadruple bottom line is people. You need to have a company that's good to people. Your people and all other people. And otherwise your talent will leave and you will not have talents and therefore you can't grow your company. Two, purpose. 
consumer do not want to support a company today that doesn't do good in the community. Hmm. We complain too much about the millennial and we, but millennial are very picky on planet and purpose now. Yeah. And if we want to attract them, guess what? Do that. I think that we've done 200 years ago when my mom and your mom used to cook in a very big, uh, you know, <laughs> meals and get people from the village to eat for free as much as they want and do it just for the goodness of their heart without thinking it's a formula of business. Today is an actual pro- proven business strategy. Right. And even if you do it for the wrong reason, you're still benefiting others. And that's even if okay. you're doing it because you've heard it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Know, as opposed yeah. to wanting yeah. to do it. I mean, you yeah. must freak people out because you walk around and say hi to everybody. Like I do. You, I know. That's gonna, I mean, you like know if, that. I actually uh, talk to the you know, the fir- I, I'm telling you that I'm sure people on their first day on the job go home and go, like the guy showed up at my desk. Like he just walked in and was like, hi, I'm Muhammad. You go, oh, God, that's got to be the Muhammad who runs the place. Hi, what are you doing yes. here? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And 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 I, 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 I introduce myself to everyone. Even when I'm invited for a speaking engagement, I actually rotate the table and introduce myself table by table to say hi to people. Look, I, I, I'm not a CEO. I wasn't born to be a definition of a CEO as somebody with, you know, that I have to act certain way. And like you said, has to be mean. And uh, that's what entrepreneurial. That's, then I'm very proud to be the guy that lived in a basement apartment, shared basement apartment. And maybe I'm a staffer, born in a staffer, remain all my life a staffer because I don't enjoy my office. I love coming table to table and hearing people's stories yeah. and their children. So, Look, uh, the bottom line and what's important is happy, to be happy. And we hear a lot of stories. Someone has money, got sick, and this. It's all about the bottom line. You need to happy to be happy, and you need to be happy with yourself. So what does Quran tell you uh, about happiness? Because, you know, um, for instance, in a Buddhist philosophy, one would say, happiness is a moment not a goal it's not a life you're supposed to have that you have to be the happy guy um that you'll be happy today and for a moment you'll be sad today and for another moment you'll be frustrated today and another moment you'll be peaceful today uh is there an um an architecture to happiness in the uh, islamic faith well i mean i don't know if there is one Maybe I'm not the most expert on that particular one, but you know, like for you, what for pieces me of different. it do you put together? Uh, I'm I'm someone that what makes me happy is truly. Look, I I actually I'm not someone that I could allow myself to go back to be hungry the way I was. I was hungry one night. I'll never forget it in my life. And one night, one night I was really hungry. Like tell me the whole about day. It. Tell I me. I will tell you about it. I don't have to tell you that. I like those convictions. So there is a, a time where I was working at a coffee shop. And uh, because I didn't have Canadian experience and they wouldn't hire me as a gemologist. And uh, so, and uh, the landlord didn't know that I haven't got paid. And the third of the month, she was insisting about the rent. 
and I was dragging and hiding for her to see me. And I kept telling her, I'm sorry, I, I don't have the money, but I'll get it tomorrow and this and that. And so she kept insisting. And I'm like, so I gave her the money. So I gave her the money and I'll never forget. I gave her the money in the morning of one day. And the money did not, sorry, I, yeah, yeah. I gave her the money the morning of one day and the money did not got to my account until 11 p.m. the same day or close to 12, 12 p.m. I'm not sure that pizza place was 11 or 12 closing because I remember the timing because of that pizza place. So he said he was a closing and I asked him to keep two slices for me and I'll pay for it after I pull the money when the money hit the account. Right. So, but I stayed without the breakfast, without coffee, on water only, without lunch, without dinner, all the way till midnight without anything. But I wasn't the hunger because I fast. It was the broken element inside of me that I didn't have a penny on me to even put something in my mouth. Right. And it was so different. It was a big lesson that I will never witness someone hungry in my life and I will not help. It was a promise from a hungry person to a hungry people that as long as I'm away, alive and I'm able, I'll never hear of someone's hungry and I'll go help. I will not go help. So can I tie that to the discipline of Ramadan? Yes. In that you go, you start the day strong like a newborn, right? You have a good meal, you get out there and you do your day. And by the end of the day, you're weak and tired because you haven't had the food or the sustenance or the water. So it's sort of the rehearsal of death. The, the coming to the end of that day is the coming to the end of your powers. But within that hunger that you feel during the day, you know, I have a Muslim friend who said, you don't want me near a microphone in Ramadan. You're going to hear too much growling in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said, well, I, I think I get that. Uh, I, but what I, I think you're saying is that hu hunger reenacted every day for a month increases your ability to be charitable, increases your ability to be kind to other people because you have a small suffering every day, not a, a martyrdom, but a small suffering every day of the body. Is that, is that accurate? And it gives you a discipline. It is accurate and it gives you another push because during the day, so everybody will talk about Ramadan and say, yeah, you know, it's a one day from this to that and the sentence and no, no, no. It's, you live it minute by minute, hour per hour. <laughs> like the whole, like you live it. And, you know, we have old says, a lot of jokes that, you know, you can talk to, you can talk to someone that's a criminal, but don't talk to someone fasting after 4 p.m. because <laughs> like, like, like there is all say that we've heard all of us and I have nothing to do against anyone but or against any say, but uh, yes, and every time you feel the hunger and it's funny, it's never the hunger. It's usually the people who smoke. I don't smoke, never did. Right. Uh, I don't drink, never did. But uh, the people who smoke or the people who has a lot of coffee, I do, I drink coffee a lot. It's the coffee that gives you the headache. It's the yeah. thing that you, and which is a great to let it go. So you're never dependent on anything. Yeah, right? you, so break, you, you snap out of it. It's, it's yes. Be, yes. Wake up, you know. Yeah, Stop but the being only, a slave to your habit. Yes, right? and the second part of it is the, I always say we do have this uh, 
great blessing as a human that we adapt fast. Yeah. In coronavirus, we adapted fast. And like we adapt, we change habits fast. We try to change habits fast, but when we're forced to, and we just did. All of us line up, a lot of us, oh, I wear a mask all the time now because the government said that. We're good Canadian, we're good, we're good residents, we, we, we're citizens, we, we want to listen. So the bottom line and the most important part of all this is when it gets the time to feel hungry or craving something, somebody or you say to someone or someone will tell you, see, that's exactly why you're fasting. You're going to eat in six hours. What about those kids in Africa that they cannot eat for days? What about the kids in Somalia that have to walk 20 kilometers for them and their mothers and carrying their children just to get water? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you snap and you say, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Why am I feeling weak about it? No, I'm not going to let this drag me down. I'm going to fast. I'm going to finish the day. And I'm going to think of those people in me. Right? And another thing very important about Ramadan and about Easter, about Christmas, and about a lot of the Jewish, uh, you know, uh, uh, celebration is how we all come together, how we visit each other, how we see each other at the synagogue when we go for a celebration and at the mosque and at the church. And sometimes you see people in Ramadan at the mosque, you don't see them all year, but you know you're going to see them in Ramadan anyway. Yeah, not not the Ramadan. Them, we call them high church. holiday Jews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same but you know what? Muslim. They pay the membership, and that helps. <laughs> yes, yeah. We need people to cut those checks too. You yeah, right? exactly. But, <laughs> but again, this is not going to happen this year with the coronavirus. Yeah. You're not going to see the people you're going to see in Ramadan. But again, it gives you time again, one more time, to maybe have a meal over Webex, share it with them. And, and unfortunately, it's not normal. But come closer to your family and to your children. And it'll give you that time too. But most importantly, what's important about all this fasting thing, it does help you where your children feel the challenge of wanting to be part of something that is happening at home. And you feel like, are my children connected to what I want them to be connected? I truly want them only to be connected to humanitarian things more than specifically Islamic thing. But I do believe it's the same thing. I do believe 80%, 90%, and if you let me continue, say I continue to 99.99% of all our religion and humanity and humanitarian moves are the same. Yes, absolutely. We, we just yeah. express them differently and we like that 0.01% for us to talk about. Yeah, that's right. Many wells, one river. Right. Yes. Yes. And that's the way we have to go to do what we do. So, if one of your your kids, you know, one of your sons, uh, said, "Dad, I like to have a drink once in a while when he gets older, and he's going to have some wine and going to have a vodka," um, or "Dad, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend, uh, Sarah Her Her Herskowitz," um, how are you going to be with all that? I'm I'm fine. I am first. I'm fine. You know what? You're like me. It's like I say I'm fine, but there's a little part of me that feels sad that thinks, oh, but you don't want to drop the ball. We've been doing this for, in your case, for 1,400 years, but you know, we don't want to drop the ball, right? Uh, I wouldn't, I would say I'm fine because I've made my own choices when I was a kid. 
Yeah. And when I was young, but when it comes to our children, we want them close to perfection. And I think it's mistake on our expectation. We need to manage our expectation better as parents. Yeah. So me and my wife always have that conversation. Right. Yeah. And, um, I do manage my expectation well, and I can't ask my son to do, not to do things that I was maybe tempted to do at a certain time. All what I can do is explain to him the good, the bad, and the ugly about everything that he's doing, if there is any part good, bad, or ugly about it. And beyond that, and I really want them to make their own mistakes, and I want them to learn from their own mistakes. Basing everything on the base uh, support structure that we created in the beginning of their life at home. And that's very important. And you can people, give them what you can give them. You can't expect that there's, they're you. you. You did your journey. They're going to do their journey. And if, if there are, and for a lot of young people, they even need to leave the journey for a while. But then they have children, and often that brings another part of a journey that they weren't expecting. And then one day when they're old enough, they sit down in a chair with a little grunt and go, oh, my God, I've become my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, and, and sometimes it's a good journey. Yeah, sometimes absolutely. Kids bring, yeah. And look, I have a great uh, friend. His name is Yehuda Levinson. He's the first person who helped me in Canada when I came here. He's a great immigration lawyer. And he's someone that is... Uh, Orthodox, very religious, and he has four boys. He's been my best friend for 24 years in Canada, and there was an article about me being a Muslim, picking uh, someone on my family um, uh, corporation to sign if, if I die. That his name Yehuda Levinson. Like this is how much my heart doesn't make a difference between religion right. and uh, my family trust. And his four boys are completely different. One of them is very religious. And knowing Yehuda, Yehuda sits in the dark in his office, like he follows oil, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. And, and we make jokes about vice versa, the Muslim and Jewish differences and this and that. Most amazing man. He's been one of my mentors and support structure I've had. And I'm very proud to have him around me. Uh, and his kids are different. And the least religious one is one of the most charitable and successful ones. Right. So, you know, again... Uh, yeah. I just think parents need to stop thinking. I think every religion does not judge you a lot for what your children do. It judges you for what you taught them. So you can teach them the right thing. You can surround them with the right thing, but you can't control the end. Their choice has to be respected. And, you know, you can teach all you want. It's who are you? What are you doing? Because your yes. children watch you and they go, well, wait a minute. You're telling me to be like this and you're like that. You no, know, that's you different. Be, you should be kind to people. And then you were just came home and couldn't stop speaking badly. Like in, in Judaism, it's Lashon Hara, the evil tongue, yeah. Yeah. right? No. The evil eye, you know, the hamsa, yeah. right? Yeah. So, no, yeah. so we have to be careful about, I mean, to me, I have four four boys. And to me, it's it's really, I can tell them anything I want, but how am I actually being? What are they seeing as a father? And, and, and that's what, what I was saying I about for? before, seeing you doing the charity and leading them per example by doing it, not by seeing it. But it's still, I mean, if he decides after everything he wants to say, look, I'm going to have a drink, it's better than him having it and not telling me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and if he's going to want uh, to introduce me to his girlfriend, I would love to meet his girlfriend. 
I don't have to pro like I I I can only tell him the good, the right, the right, left. I'll just be the, his mentor, but I can't be there controlling his life. I have to have respect to their choices. And you know, you the country you come from, the differences have been horrible in many cases. You know, the Christian phalange and the the Sunni and the Shiite and the Druze and like I I, it always broke my heart to see you know how much pain there was the Jamal family and you know just now wow you have you have more information than me (laughs) but it it broke my heart because I just thought you know everyone's decided that you're not me and I'm not you and I think well did you not read the Quran did you not read the Torah like so I'm always amazed at the disconnect that some people can have between their faith uh, and their practice of their faith, and especially when it comes to capitalism. When I think of how much, I, I call it extractive capitalism, where you take from things, you take the resources, you take the labor from someone, and you uh, squeeze as much as you can out of all those things and then maximize your profits, which has been the way of the world for quite a while now. And we're in deep trouble because of it. So for you, is capitalism redeemable? Can it find its soul and spirit and be a kind piece? Or is it not quite the right idea and will always lead us towards greed and power? No, and I would say we... It could be divided in a way and parallel. Like you you could be someone with good money, with a lot of money, with success, and at the same time with a lot of compassion. And we we have an old say it says you don't you don't ga- you don't gather a lot of money. And we're talking a lot of money, like a lot of money, unless you're cheap or unethical. Right. So you could have, and the reason why you want, because if you're generous, you even if you have a lot of money, you give it back. But how you get the money? That's the by part. by because you making, can do you can do it make, by really could, really exploiting people. You can do it like you know much of yeah, the world but, but still absolutely, does that. But you could as well, you could as well make the money by doing businesses that you hire people, and while you're doing business and profiting, give back to the community and help other people. Are and you alone in that, or do you find you have a lot of company in that? In that, it's becoming more. It's like when I used to talk about it ten years ago, people used to call me dreamer. Right. Now we have a new group, group that lip, talk about it in a lip service way. And they know that there is some adjustment need to happen to their company for them to have, we call it social corporate responsibility. Now. Right. But that can be a, a, a whitewash where of you course. try to look good for everybody, but really you're still in the business of taking as much as you can. That's what I said. They call, it's called yeah, that. Yeah. Lip service. But, yeah. Absolutely. So, but it's moving into stages. But it's better than 10 years ago. And 10 years from today will be better than today. Right? But yeah. a lot of business people now, like you see, you know, there is Dandy Appliances. There is a couple business leaders in the U.S. that they bought factories that they didn't think they'll make money, but 
they wanted to make them break even just because of the amount of staff in them, right? right. And, and those 90% comes from people they had early struggle in their life or people that actually still connected to certain, some people call it religious things that they learned in the early days. And I call it that they grew up in an environment where people comes as a very important asset to anyone's life and being happy alone without a support structure that is happy with you and being okay alone without your community happy or at least satisfied or at least not hungry or at least not vulnerable doesn't make you okay anymore. Doesn't right. make you safe anymore. So there is a group of a lot, I wouldn't say a lot, but there is a group of entrepreneurs start believing in it more than just talking about it. And there is some of them has the money. They don't believe in it. Their shareholders are expecting them to do more on that level now. Maybe not because of the right reason. Maybe because of the right reason. Right. So they're cutting the check. But we need, to, we need to celebrate more the people that does it for the right reason. Because as a community, as a po- even in politics, in life, we become what we celebrate. And right. So we have a president of the United States. Yes who has become what what has been celebrated, which is uh, winner-take-all. And uh, you're fired and winner-take-all. And the objectification and commodification of people and their energies and their lives. And I, I find it to be a very sad time in human history in many ways. Because if it wasn't for this great pause that we're in, if it wasn't for everyone having to do Ramadan, whether they wanted to or not, and being isolated and alone in that, and having to wake up to how they're living their life, uh, this planet is on a course that within 10 years, we will have killed our mother. We will have killed Mother Nature. And it's a serious thing. And, and if we think this COVID thing is an issue, you ain't seen nothing yet. And yet there's still a capitalism out there that rolls over these bodies and just keeps going. You know, when they talk about the stock market as if it's the real economy, these are really serious issues. And I'm not saying, oh, you know, what people say is, oh, well, you're a communist. And just, don't be ridiculous. I'm talking not about communism or capitalism as a choice. I'm saying, where's the ethical source of what we do? It, you know, the seventh generation thinking of native people in Canada. Is this good for people seven generations from now? If it isn't, I shouldn't be doing it. You know, it's really quite simple. I agree. And it's not the most popular conversation. <laughs> no, no. But I you have... sit with these people all the time. It must drive you crazy sometimes. It, it, it does drive them crazy because they actually <laughs> they actually feel that the community is celebrating someone like me. Right, right. When I speak a language that does not fit with maybe KPMG or or, right, or, right. or Ernst and Young, who's this guy saying more you more you pay, more you make, more right. you give, more you make. How does that make sense? More you give, less you have. Yeah, no, yeah. I say no. More you give, more you make. So, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm someone that I look always forward and I always have a strong hope backed up by facts, not just hope. And the fact says 10 years ago, when I used to tell my franchisee, instead of putting an ad on CP24 for a, a shawarma sandwich, I actually want to donate 
to charity surrounding our location and the community eventually will find out and they'll come back to support us. And I think that's more meaningful and lasting impact into the community and into the life of our brand. They disagreed. And I'm happy to tell you over the last nine months, they start doing it themselves at the level of every single unit of franchisee at Piemont hmm. because they have been convinced. And that gives me a backed up hope by numbers. So I actually can't convince the guy from KPMG or the lovely man or woman from KPMG that my numbers shows more you give, more you make. And the franchisee are doing it and they're repeating something that I have proven that has done it. Right. And then they can take it to the Rockman School of Business and say, look, this will make you money, which yes, <laughs> kind yes. of perverts it again. But nonetheless, you might as well do a good thing for uh, half a good reason and no good reason at all. Absolutely. And, and then part of it, that the, to the extreme, that they do not want to actually be convinced that much that it's the right thing, to yeah. the extreme that they actually made it a business formula now. So, so now right. it's a business formula. Doing good is the profitable thing. So they just don't want to leave it as doing good is the good thing. Right. And I'm okay with that because... It yeah, is yeah, the, it's better than nothing. Come on. But it is the profitable thing because people want to support. Like I, I was interviewed by someone and she asked me, do you actually believe people will come to Paramount more often because they hear about you doing good deeds? I said, definitely they do. Right. And most importantly, will give a stability to my team because replacing a staff and executive is very costly for companies over a year time. Sure. It gives that stability because the team members will have better reason to stay within the company. So yeah, doing good deeds for the people who worry and they do it only because of the profitable part of it, it's the profitable thing. I mean, religion, including uh, Islam, uh, there was a point where you, you, no, no one should charge interest. And we threw that out the window. Right? <laughs> yes, just know that window. But Muhammad, you know, the prophet, uh, you know, blessed be he, said, "Hey, you shouldn't be charging people money to, to but only is other Muslims, right?" And Jews did the same thing. You shouldn't charge a Jew. And I just think, no, no, if you're going to do that kind of, you know, charitable giving, then, it, you know, to me, there's a universal to all this. And I hope that uh, in your organization, uh, that there is uh, a, a kind of an I would love it if you guys had, I don't know if you do, but an interfaith ability to to deal with each other and an ability to counsel on a spiritual level. I guess that's my bias as a spiritual director, but I, I sort of think there's a whole part of people's lives that they leave outside the, the door of the office, that they leave it in their car. They listen to a great song and they're totally into it and then they park in the parking lot and they go, okay, you stay in here. I'm going into work. Because they're not sure if that employer is going to keep them, not keep them, pay them less, whether someone's competing for their job. How much of my life do I give to these people? I never get to see my kids. You know, like work for a lot of people is very hard on them, very hard on their souls. So I hope you guys develop some of that. So I, I actually would love you to unpack what you said, but let me answer you first on my side because I'm going to ask, I know you're supposed to ask me the questions, but I'm going <laughs> to ask you a question. Because I actually think there is a percentage of everyone that they don't only live in the car. There is a percentage of everyone's knowledge and information and feeling and what they do that they live within 
according to how comfortable they feel within the environment surrounding them Absolutely. and the people there. So how much our staff leave part of their spiritual or non-spiritual in the car is our CEO's fault and our culture. Right. There is a couple words that I always think that they have driven my life and the culture of my company and the drive, the culture of my life in like from A to Z, people, culture, giving, needy, right? So there is, so the culture and your frontline heroes, that word and noble mission, those words, when companies, when businesses, when homes loses the noble mission of wanting to give your children the best knowledge and let them make their choices, right? Bring them always a clean money and set an example of what you say is what you do, what you said. You can't tell your children not to do something and they <laughs> see you the opposite, right? So the amount and the percentage that your team leave in the car is your problem, you as a CEO, how much you made them that you do celebrate people and you do celebrate their diversity and forget about that. Even for the CEOs that they are only profit driven. Yeah. Diverse idea bring you diverse opportunity that you 90% did not see before. So having the ability of letting your people or making them feel comfortable enough to bring 100% of them to work is 100% more opportunity for the business. Beautiful. Exactly. So even that, the language of that a idea profit. of clean money. <laughs> yes, of course. Love, that's something, you know, you could just, we're going to make money here, but it's going to be clean money. And we're yeah, going to be charitable about how we are with that money. I love that. Well, because making money in an unethical way and being <laughs> Boy. like I always imagine that to be a very lonely thing, you know, to, to know that the way you got this, but then I think for some people, there's almost their life is, is not a, a poet, a poem about love. It's a, about lost love. And this is their revenge. Like I'll show those people who thought I was going to be nothing. That drives a lot of CEOs, you know, oh, you think I'm just this guy? Wait till you see what I can do. And then they, they lose the, they harden their hearts. They, they become a pharaoh, right? They become the pharaoh who says, I will not let you go. You will not be free. But the biggest percentage as a study show that it's competitiveness that gets to the extreme yeah. that everything is allowed, right? Yeah. So it's mostly competitiveness and who's more successful and who has more to the extreme, right? But a good news to anyone listening to this, let me tell you, I'm not the richest out of a lot of CEO that I meet with, but due to the things that I've done with heart, due to the good things that I've done with my team by helping others than the vulnerable, I've never attended a place where people did not feel that they have 1% way to not respect me and not mention the good things I've done to other human beings. And hopefully the people listening, you have a choice to be, an, and in both of them, you're successful entrepreneur, but where what, what you do is for the betterment of all or the betterment of only yourself. 
And these are the two choices. And I hope you see an example of someone that does work 21 hours a day, never stops smiling. Nothing hurt except my jaws. <laughs> and the reason I'm happy, not because of the size of my car or my boat, is because 90% of the people that meet me and recognize my face, they say, I love your food, but what I love the most, what you do with other people. Right. So they recognize your food because of what you've done. Don't recognize you just because you're that capitalist, a lot of money person and others. What's your so you favorite, have a choice. What's your favorite iftar snack when you get home and, and break your fast? Um, um, my wife said, I don't know why are you in the restaurant industry? You don't know how to cook and you're boring to eat with. So I, I'm someone that eats so fast. Thank God my boys has grown up now and they're both taller, two of them taller than me and the little one is little one drives us all crazy. But And uh, uh, she enjoys more eating with them because they take their time eating. But Usually you just Ramadan, wolf it down. You just come home I, and do, 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 no, to do yeah, it. And then, and then I, I sit on the chair and I start moving because I'm finding a reason to get up because I can't sit long. I know. Listen, I, I can see you. People don't know I can see you right now. And uh, the fact that you've sat still for this long, I think you should be getting an award because I, I, what I've heard is about eight minutes into a meeting, you're up and you're walking around. And people think that I wanted to end the meeting and I always apologize and I say, I just can't sit. So I go start in circle until I get them dizzy, the poor people, and they you, leave. So. You're speaking to the converted. I, I, I get <laughs> up and people are like, what, what, I, why are you getting up? And it's just like, I just, why are we sitting is more of the question I want answered. Yes. I can't do this. Well, listen, I loved our conversation. Really appreciated it. Uh, and uh, I give you all blessings for a beautiful Ramadan. And Thank I you. hope that uh, it enriches you and your family in, in, in many ways. And I know that every year a ritual is repeated. There are memories, but there are also new findings and discoveries that we have in doing them. So in this COVID-19 version of Ramadan, I'm sure there will be some um, isolation, but some coming together. And I hope you have uh, uh, a really fruitful uh, time in this month of Ramadan. So uh, Ramadan Mubarak, and uh, I wish you well. Thank you very much. Yes, we are distanced uh, physically, but in spirit, we're all together. As a Can as Canadian and as a human, we will always be in spirit together. And uh, thank you very much for the wishing of Ramadan. I wish everyone to be safe, to stay home, be healthy, and please be positive. Uh, like I said before, I've lived in bunkers. I'll never forget the face of my dad coming out of the bunker and say, now we can build again. Now we can hire people again. And I'm telling you, it's very difficult sometimes to see the light, but the light will come. For a guy that coming from a civil war and a guy that's very proud to be Canadian, Canada has given me the biggest opportunity. This country is a place of hope. So please stay positive. And thank you very much for the great interview. Mohamed Faki uh, is the CEO of Paramount Foods and the Paramount Foundation. Uh, he lives in uh, Mississauga and yes. uh, is uh, a proud Canadian. Uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you.
Well, that's it for our show. I'm Ralph Bedmergi, not that kind of rabbi. And Mike Boone helps me produce this. Yes, I said his real name. Uh, and uh, he, he and I are happy to bring you the program on a regular basis. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, ralphbenmergi at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the show. If you're interested in sponsoring this fine program, please let us know. And it'll help us to expand our reach and uh, reach more people in Canada and around the world. Take care of each other. I'm going to leave you with a song this time. Um, it's called Shalom Salam. And I'll leave that for you. And it's uh, peace, hello, and goodbye in both Arabic and in Hebrew. Take care of each other. Bye-bye. لأن حياتنا أكبر من الدموع وأغلى لا يوجد مستقبل لا تسامح فيه كي أخيم يوتر يكغيم لكور هدماؤت كي إن أتيت بليس لخوت Oh
لأن حياتنا أكبر من الدموع وأغلى